0: We begin the sixth perek, which is going to continue speaking about the rights of the husband over his wife, various monetary items. If a woman finds a lost object and also the earnings that she makes from wages, both of those go to her husband. And if, some, if she gets an inheritance, she owns some land, even though she owns the land, nevertheless, while they are married, he enjoys the benefits of its fruit. Boshta If a married woman is injured, then the payment for her humiliation and degradation belong to her. There are the three other payments also. Pain, Uh, will also go to her we don't mention that because everyone will agree with that and medical bills and time off of work that goes to the husband and everybody will agree with that because he is responsible for the for the medical bills and also whatever she earns goes to him so that loss of earnings Will go to him, but regarding the humiliation and degradation that is subject to machloket tanakama, says she gets it. Rabbi Biudab ben omer Bizman bizmanche baseter la shene halakim velo ehad. Bizmanche bagalui lo shene halakim velo ehad. As Biudab ben Betara says, if she is injured in a concealed part of her body, then she gets two thirds of the humiliation payment, and he gets one third. Whereas if it's on an exposed part of her body, like on her face. Then he gets two uh, thirds and she gets only one third. Why should a husband get anything for her humiliation? The answer is that he feels humiliated also on behalf of his wife, uh, if it's in, uh and then if, it, if it's in an exposed area and he's going out and he's uh, walking with his wife and people see her, he feels the humiliation as well as if it's exposed, then he feels it even more. So that's why it's two-thirds if it's exposed. Shelah ten miyad where the payments that go to him he gets cash immediately payments that go to her however are go to go into land and she will own that land even though. He, like any other land that she owns, uh, enjoys the, the fruit of the property in the meantime. All right, that's the Mishnah. We ask, What is this Mishnah teaching us that's new? We know these laws already. We learned this in the Mishnah earlier. The Mishnah was comparing the rights of a father over his daughter versus a husband over his wife. A father gets to take, keep, the money of Kiddushin, uh, and he also has a right to marry her off with Kiddushin in any of the three ways. He also, um, the father uh, has a right to keep something that she finds and her earnings, and he has a right to undo her vows. Uh, the father also, if she gets divorced as a minor, he receives the divorce papers. Uh, if she owns property, like if she got it from her mother's side, then he, the father, does not get the fruits of the property while she's alive. Uh, that, goes, that stays with her. If she's a minor, it'll go to uh, an escrow. Once she gets married, all of these things, these rights, transfer over to the husband, and the husband has an added uh, right over the fruits of her property. So you see that we know from this Mishnah um, all the items on the list in, in uh, from that Mishnah, all items in this Mishnah already. So what is this Mishnah teaching new? No? And the answer is We need this Mishnah to tell us about compensation for humiliation and deg- degradation because banan. Uh, whereas yes, true Tanakama says she gets it, and so they weren't didn't have to mention it here because the husband and the uh, does not get those, but we wanted to mention who disagrees. So that's why you mentioned. And all the other items, so that we can specify this item in particular. Tanetana kamed a reciter of Mishnah of Baraitot, said this Brayta in front of Rava. Akiba Omed leBaala. There is that there is a Tanakama here that says, uh, "Findings of a woman, she keeps." Rabi says it goes to her husband. So the Tanakama would be in disagreement with the Mishnah. Ravah said, He says, hold on, this doesn't make sense. Ravah Akiva is the one that said, we're going to see in the Mishnah coming up, that uh, the surplus of her earnings, the base amount of her earnings, is what would be corresponding to the amount that she eats. And that makes sense, it goes to the husband because he's feeding her. Uh, and uh, any other sustenance that he's providing for her, uh, however, the surplus above and beyond whatever she needs for her clothing and, chel- and shelter and food and all that, uh, that she gets to keep. Uh, that, that was Tanakama. Um, uh, uh, hashta, so that, according to Rabiakiba, sorry, not Tanakama. But that was according to Rabiakiba. She gets to keep. So now here's the question: If Rabiakiba says that she keeps. Her added surplus earnings, uh, where you might think that the husband should t- take it because they are earnings, and the husband does get her earnings, okay, but Ibi Akiba says not the surplus. So then all the more so, she should keep her the things that she finds, which is less similar to her earnings. So this doesn't make sense that Ibi Akiba would say that the things that she finds goes to the husband. Now let's prove that Akiba does say about surplus earnings. She keeps it. None. In Nedarim Mishnah. Konam shani Osa LeFicha. If she says anything I produce, the wife says, will be prohibited to your mouth. You can't have any of that. Tanah Tanakama says this uh, vow is null and void because she already has agreed when she gets, she got married that her earnings will be for her husband. And so so she can't possibly undo that Undo that with a vow, and the husband doesn't even need to nullify the vow. It's already null and void on its own. However, says the husband should nullify it, not because of the base amount. You're right, Tanakama, the base amount she already committed to, so she has no right over it to vow that he's prohibited to him, but the surplus that she would keep. And therefore, uh, the um, uh, therefore, if she says you're prohibited to that, the Beis Yehuda should uh, nullify it. Okay. So to answer the the original question, we're going to switch around the opinions in that Brayta. lebaala omer It's kama that says that a finding. Uh, a found object of a wife goes to the husband. Rabbi Akiba actually says that she keeps it. So it is equivalent. Just like he says she keeps her sur- surplus earnings, so too she keeps her found objects. Good. We have another question about this. There's two types of earnings: earnings that come with ease. Let's say you know she has a very good skill and easily can make a lot of money. In that case, that surplus, everyone agrees. Even the Be'akiba would and Tanakama would say that it goes to the husband. Even the Be'akiba would agree that it goes to the husband. And the idea is that the uh, finding uh, finding a lost object that is something that. Uh, Comes with ease, not through extraneous effort, right? Just walking around, and you find some money, and so therefore, even Rabbi Akiva would say that this goes to the husband, and so there was no need to switch it around uh, up here. Um uh, so what, when do they disagree? If she has to work very hard, she's taking an added night shift, three jobs, then says that still goes to the husband it's that surplus from her working hard that she put an extra extra effort, that's what she gets to keep. And so, according to that, we would not have to switch around the order. (laughs) Papa explains that actually finding lost objects is similar to surplus earnings that is with a lot of effort. Why so? either because both of them are not regular occurrences um that you know you just happen to have a really good investment that came easy or you happen upon a lost object but it's not something you can rely on or we're talking about a lost object not that you just happen to find a wallet somewhere but actually you're putting in a lot of effort to look for it uh one example to safari says is uh for looking for a dead fish that might Will um uh, come up on onto the shore. That's a lot of work. This would be more like using uh, a metal detector, right? You could be there out there for hours just to make, just to find a few coins. So that's the type of uh, found objects we're working that we're thinking about that actually would take a lot of effort. And there, the Akiva, and the Rabbanan disagree uh, regarding the added effort, and that's why indeed uh, we do have to switch around the uh, the opinions in the Brayta as Rava did. Alright, last question about this. Baida Papa. What if she's doing something that actually is easy work, but she's doing two things at the same time? Or Ravina says three or four things at the same time. For example, she's guarding a cucumber field. All she has to do is sit there and watch and you know look, make sure that uh, animals or thieves don't come. At the same time, she can be spinning. Thread, which is also easy work. At the same time, she might be teaching some children, so she could do many things at the same time. If by doing all them, to, all these things together, it's hard work. That's true. So maybe she should keep her earnings. On the other hand, each item by itself is easy work. So maybe she shouldn't keep her earnings. So how do we consider that? That we leave standing. All right. Boshta u Now regarding humiliation, and degradation. Belongs to her according to Tanakama. The question, however, is on Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera, who says that the husband gets one-third or two-thirds of her humiliation. Uh, so Rava, bar Rav says this doesn't make sense. He's not the one who's humiliated. She is. Why should he receive money for her humiliation and he gives an outrageous example if someone comes and slaps humiliates someone's horse and uh, so now does a person have to pay the horse's owner for that Uh, uh, obviously not so why would he have to pay if he slapped his wife okay the sus Bad too. we counter that. That's not a good comparison. Uh, horses cannot do not feel humiliated. They don't have that uh, social uh, social um, understanding to un- to know what humiliation is. But you can't compare that to a wife who actually does feel her own humiliation, and therefore he can feel it for her. Okay, new comparison. If someone spits on the clothing of his friend. Well, he's not wearing it, right? I take off my jacket and I put it on a chair over there and someone comes and spits on the jacket, but I'm not wearing it. So, does uh, would he have to pay me humiliation? Nobody thinks that you'd have to pay humiliation for him uh, doing something just to a piece of clothing. So we're comparing that also. Why should you pay the husband humiliation on behalf of the wife? I guess the point is here that I own the jacket, and so too the husband is under the authority over. She's under the domain of his of her husband. Okay. And maybe you'll say, yes, indeed. he spit on my jacket. That's uh, I feel humiliated. Maybe he should pay. No, but you don't. We're going to prove from this Mishnah in Baba Kama that you don't pay just for spitting on someone's clothing. How do you know? Because here it lists the uh, the times when you do have to pay humiliation, which is if you spit on someone and the spit reached him. Not if you just spit towards him. That's not enough of a humiliation to have to pay. But if it reaches him, him himself, not just his clothing, then you then and only then you have to pay. Other items are if someone uncovers the hair of a woman she'll feel embarrassed to be uncovered in public or if someone removes a garment from another person as uh, uh, stripped in public he will feel embarrassed. Uh, so in those cases he has to pay 400 ZUs but only if you spit on the person himself not on clothing. Okay. Papa learned from this that only it's it's only true for if you spit on him, but not his clothing. Okay, so in fact, uh, this is uh, so we we're not going to pay for clothing. How come you don't pay when you spit on someone's clothing, but you do have to pay if you uh, um, humiliate someone's wife? And the answer is, no, this is also not comparable. When someone spits on a garment, he doesn't suffer dishonor. It's his his garment over there. Whereas with his wife, he does suffer dishonor. Uh, This is much, much worse to, uh, to humiliate a wife than a garment. So that's not a good comparison either. I might let Avinadav final answer. Ella meata biyesh another question. Ella meata biyesh ani ben tovim deit lehu zilutal dechul hu bene mishpacha. Hachinam eder adim etan dehu poche dechol bene mishpacha. So Avinadav Asher, I understand that you are you should pay humiliation because the husband feels humiliated on account of his wife. I got it. But that, according to that logic, you'd have to extend that to any time. Okay, not a horse, not clothing, but a person. Uh, you'd have to extend that to other cases. For example, if someone insulted a poor person who's from an aristocratic family. Sometimes people are from high-class families, but maybe they lose their fortune, and so right now they're poor. So uh, because he himself is poor, he's not going to feel so much humiliation. Um, I, I, poor people do have feelings also, but still the level of humiliation uh, does depend on social context. But in this case, the, the family who are aristocratic status are going to feel very humiliated. So if, uh, if I go insult a poor person, do I have to now pay also the family members because they feel humiliated on account of their poor relative, right? But nobody would say that he has to do that no that's different because there the family members are not like him himself whereas we have a principle ishto gufa, and so therefore a man's humiliation over his wife it, they're so closely connected that it's like his own humiliation. It's like the guy, who, the a couple who goes into the doctor's office and he says, "Our foot hurts," even though it's really her foot that hurts. But he's so empathetic to his wife that he says he feels the pain himself as well. So that's true for a husband and wife, but would not be true for any other relatives, and certainly wouldn't be true for a, a jacket or a horse. The next Mishnah continues, ha-posek ma'ot met The father of the bride set aside some money for the dowry of his daughter that would go to his son-in-law. But his son-in-law died before the marriage, and there is a brother who will be a Yavam. So does he have to pay that amount to the Yavam? Uh, to the living brother of his uh, would-be son-in-law, no, he does not. The father-in-law can say, "I really liked the the deceased guy. He, I wanted him as a son-in-law. That's why I pledged this large amount. You, I don't really want you to marry my daughter. I mean, you know, you could go through, you boom, whatever you do, but I don't want to pay you that amount, and so he doesn't have to pay." now regarding the money that uh, she and her family bring into the marriage which will he will have to pay back at the end of the marriage so how do we uh, assess this precisely depends on if it's cash or merchandise pascal lo elef dinar hu hamesh esre mane. if the father of the bride said, I'm going to uh, give you 1,000 dinad as the dowry. I'm giving it to you in the marriage. And so, good, you can use it and spend it and all that. In the Kitubah, he has to write that he's going to pay it back in the event of divorce. Or if he dies first, that money has to be paid back to her. And not only the original amount, the 1,000, but you have to add... Uh, 50% so you have to add uh, it would be 1,500 altogether the reason is because cash has time value and therefore since he's using the cash during the marriage so now it would be worth more at some time later now it doesn't really matter how much time later whether they get divorced after one day or after 70 years still gonna be the same amount that's why this is not called interest which would be prohibited Interest would would, uh, have to depend on how much time it is, but this is a standard uh, 50% increase for the value of using the money in the meantime. However, when it, when, when it comes to uh, items that she will bring into the marriage, uh, maybe it's um, a merchandise to sell, or painting, or furniture. In that case, the, there will be a, an appraised value. When he actually pays it in the ketubah, the amount in the ketubah, he can deduct one-fifth. There's two reasons why he would be able to deduct. One is that if it's like furniture and things that they use, well, then there's wear and tear over time. So eventually when they get divorced or he died, so he'll have to pay less than the actual value. The other reason, which seems to be the main one that's talking about here because it keeps talking about Sham and appraisal, is because the appraisals done at the time of the marriage are often inflated. Um, they're sitting there in the, you know, in the wedding hall and uh, and some appraisers coming and saying, here, look at this uh, beautiful painting that she is uh, bringing into the marriage and generally if it's uh, uh, worth uh, actually $100 he's gonna say increase a little he's gonna say $125 uh, that this is worth so he only has to pay back the actual amount not the um, not the higher appraisal so he can take off uh, a fifth when we say a fifth it means a fifth of the total end amount so which is actually 25% of the of the actual value all right so on the other hand if the appraisal is actually correct it was appraised at a hundred and it's actually worth a hundred and that might be more true regarding things that don't have wear and tear, or uh, if it is, uh, in fact, a proper appraisal. So then he will have to pay back the actual amount. Shum b'maneh hi notenet ve'had ve'sela if there he records that here, I'm, I'm going to give back something that is appraised at $100 dollars, so she will have to, and she, the item is not there yet. She will have to go and get that item and she'll have to spend 125 dinar on the item. This is the flip side of the what was said before. What was said before is that if the couch is actually there and it's appraised at 125, he can write in, I'm going to pay you back a 100. Here's the opposite he's writing it in before she brings it, so he's writing it 100, she would have to provide something that's 125. And another example, And if it was uh, the amount that he pledges is 400, she has to actually give 500. It's the same ratio, it's just giving more more examples. And again, you see the Mishnah is quite repetitious, and whatever the son-in-law pledges, He always pledges a fifth less than the appraised amount of the property. Um, Okay, Uh, 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 so appraised amount, if it's something that the appraisal was too high, or if it's something that will have wear and tear, then he'll take off for that reason as well. Okay, so now the gemara regarding when the father says, you know, I'm going to give a nice dowry to this guy because I want him to be my son-in-law. But then he dies and the Yavam comes in. So, of course, the father does not have to pay the dowry if the first uh, original husband... To be was a uh, was was learned and the Yavam was uh, an ignoramus because then certainly you could say, I don't want my daughter to marry ignoramus, so I'm not paying you. But even if the son and the would be son in law who died was an ignoramus and the Yavam is a sage, where oh, it's an upgrade, maybe you would say there that he does have to pay the dowry. No, nevertheless, he can say, "I just liked him better." So it's based on his subjective view. Maybe he this he was kinder. Maybe he lived closer. It could be any reason. Uh, he can decide that he does not want to give the dowry to the yavam. Now, Pascal eliftinad The the examples uh, throughout the Mishnah are the same as the first one. That if it, that there's a, an adjustment of a fifth. So why does have to keep giving more and more examples? Tana Shuma Rabba veTana Shuma Zuta is because it gives example, some examples are when there's it's a large amount and others when it's a small amount. Maybe you'll think that that ratio applies to a large amount, but a small amount is uh, much less. So uh, so not so, or the other way around. Tana Shuma Didek katane Shuma Dida Also, whether he appraises it or she appraises it. No matter what, it's the same thing. You might think that when he appraises it, his appraisal is going to be less and her appraisal is going to be more. No, it doesn't matter whether it's an item that's there already and he's appraising it or it's an item that she is going to get and that therefore she's appraising it. We use the same ratio for all cases. The next Mishnah yet again repeats a law that we just saw in the previous Mishnah. Pascal lo Sala'a shisha dinarim. if he she pledges to bring money into the marriage, so if she brings a selah in, which is equal to four dinar, then she will get back six dinar. Uh, again, because you have to increase 50% regarding cash that she brings in, that's what he has to pay at the end of the marriage. I'll like ask why we have this repetition. But now we have a new law. He mekabel u Besides this 50% increase, the groom also has to give her 10% 10% of what she brings. So if she brings in 100 dinar, he has to give her 10 dinar. Um, uh, well, Gamal will discuss is this a one time lump sum uh, or ongoing? Is this for the cash? Is this for the merchandise? Anyway, the Banshee Gamaliel Omer hakol hagamid dinar. Ashbag says regarding everything we saw in the this Mishnah in the previous one, that no, there's no, uh, it's not four fifths, 50%, it's not a set amount, but rather everything is dependent on the Usual custom in each place. We ask, This thing that here he said that if she gets back six for four, that's the same as she gets back fifteen hundred for giving a thousand. Why do you have to repeat? Because one is a large amount, the other one is a small amount. And we need to know both. If you'd only told me the large amount, I'd say, oh, he has to increase 50% because there's so much profit. But if it's a small amount where the profit is uh, is less, maybe he does not have to share as much of the percentage of the profit. You know, he put a lot of work into it. So, Srikha, that's why I need this Mishnah. says, no, even for a small amount, it's the same ratio. And if you only told me regarding a small amount, that he pays 50%, I would say there, there's very little expense, very little overhead, very little um, uh, um risk. And so there he would pay 50%. But if it's a large amount, maybe his share should be more to pay to account for the added expenses and that's what we say no it doesn't matter it's the same ratio no matter what the amount so the chatan has to give uh it takes upon himself to give her 10 out of every 100 dinad for a basket, my cupa, basket of what? Amad HaVasheh Kupah Shel Besamim, for a basket of perfumes and cosmetics. So she'll get 10% of what she brings in and she can use that for her perfume and cosmetics. Lo Ela The says, that's only in Jerusalem where the women are uh, accustomed to have use a lot of cosmetics and perfume. But elsewhere... He doesn't have to do that. Rav Ashe asks, assuming that it's talking about the uh, 10% on the merchandise, is it the appraised amount of the merchandise, which is more, or the actual amount that he accepts to pay, which is a fifth less? Imtim And even if you say it's the lesser amount, Yom or Kol Yom Bayom. When he pays, is this a one time payment all the way at the beginning, one lump sum? Or does he spread it out over each day. And if you say you spread it out over many days, Shabbat ishona, or kol Shabbat v'shabbat, is it uh, spreads it out for one week, the first week, or does it go on for more than one week? And if you say you spread it out over many weeks, how, how long? For the first month, over many months? And if you say it's many months, is it only within the first year, or does it go on for a long time? Echo. So we leave this question not uh, unresolved. And now it can't be that he gives pace 10% each and every day, because then if within 10 days or so, there'll be uh, nothing left. Uh, but, so rather, it must, it must be that he's splitting it up into smaller parts. The question is, is it like a, a shorter term payout or a longer term payout? And now, a story um, about uh, the uh, this exact halacha regarding the daughter of Naktimon ben Gurion, who we saw recently. He was one of the wealthy people in Yerushalayim, and so we assume his daughter was well taken care of. And uh, sure enough, the sages designated for her 400 gold coins, from her husband's estate for uh, for perfumes uh, to use um, on that day, the day that he died. And so in the Ketubah, she gets 10% of all that amount. And uh, uh, I don't know if it was paid up. but uh, uh, it sounds like Bobayom uh, to use on that same day. It sounds like it was paid at one lump sum all the way in the beginning. So the, the 400 gold coins was um, the uh, 10% of... Whatever Naktimon had brought into the marriage. Okay. And she was so happy with this, she gave them a blessing, right? She thanked them for um for being so generous and giving her all this uh, money for her cosmetics and perfumes she gave him a blessing may this happen to your daughters as well right may you be able to provide such uh, a large amount and so that your uh, sons in law will provide back Uh, a, a large amount for your daughters and they said amen yes we wish this would be true as well we saw in the previous story they did not answer amen because in that story when the husband died, there was a Yavam. So this might be talking about a different daughter. And so they, the rabbis did not want their daughter to fall to a Yavam. It ends up in a lot of bad situations, like if the Yavam refuses to, doy boom, she can be an Aguna. Uh, but in this case, uh, she did not fall to a Yavam, so the rabbi said, Amen, I hope that, yes, we will be so wealthy. Others read this uh, sarcastically. She thought this was too little, because she was so pampered that only 400 gold coins? How am I gonna uh, buy all my perfume ju- just for that small amount. And so she gave. She said, as a curse, I hope you also, your daughters, get such a little bit. But for them, the rabbis, this is a huge amount. They said, Amen. We'll take your curse as a blessing. A story about ben Zakai, who lived through the destruction of Yerushalayim. And he's writing on. A donkey leaving Jerusalem as after it's destroyed. and his students were walking after him. He saw a young woman who was gathering barley uh, that was in the dung of animals of Arabs. The uh, animals ate barley and this, uh, this is uh, went this went through their system uh, undigested, and there was so little. She's so poor that the uh, only food she could find is picking out these seeds of barley. She saw him, so she wrapped herself in hair. In other words, she had no clothes. She was so poor, so all she had with her, all she had to cover herself was her own hair. So she wrapped herself to be modest. أَمْرُواْ parneseni. So, Amralo, she said, my teacher, please help me out. Give me some sustenance. Amrala, beti, she said, who are you? Amralo, bat naktimon ben Guryon Ani. I'm the daughter of naktimon ben Guryon, this very woman that we were just talking about, that she got 400 gold coins for a perfume. Amrala, beti, mamon shabet abhi, chechan alach, where's all the money of your father's house? I you know, you were very rich. Amrala, abhi, lo keden they said, "Teacher, my, my teacher, don't you know the proverb that they say in Yerushalayim? They Melach mamon haser,' that there is no salt for money. Salt is a preservative for meat. Yes, it'll 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 keep meat from uh, lasting a long time. But there's no such thing as salt for money." There's no way to guarantee to preserve money. My family lost it all. Uh, maybe they were spending too much money on perfume or they made some bad investments. Uh, others have a different version of the parable that say kindness is a preservative for money. By giving out money, by giving charity, helping others, then that will preserve one's money. We'll ask in a minute, what, they didn't give any charity? Naktimon ben Gurion? Okay, fine, I understand that your father lost all his money, but how about your in-laws, right? Your husband, he was also wealthy. What happened to all that money? Zuzun came and took away that one. In other words, uh, they invested together. Maybe Naktimon came, say, have a good investment. Come here, give me your money too. And they lost it all together. Amen, Allah. The B. Zakhud Ata Kesh Hatam Ta Al Kitubati, She said to Rabbi Yochman "Remember, you you performed at my wedding. Remember when you signed my ketubah?" I remember I was reading the Kitubah and uh, was amazed at the large amounts a thousand, a, th- a thousand meaning one million gold dinar from her father's house and that's besides what uh, her father-in-law brought in. And so Rabbi HaKadon cried uh, in both sadness and happiness together. And he said, how fortunate you are, Israel, that you have such a direct connection to Akadosh Baruch Hu. When Hashem is happy with you, when we do the will of God, then we uh, are, are so Uh, surpass any other nation. None can rule over us. And we see Naktimon, look how rich he was. He was richer than everybody when he was on the up but when we do not fulfill God's uh, words, then He punishes us by making us low, very low, and uh, delivers us not only into the uh, into the hands of another nation, but one of an, a lowly nation, not of a lowly nation, but even worse than the animals of a lowly nation. The example is Naktimon ben Gurion, who well, was was worse than an animal of Arabs. Um, Arabs, she, she, they mean uh, these nomads like Bedouin, uh, that uh, she, the food that she got was the leftover of what the animal uh, already digested, an animal that belonged to, not the Romans, but a lowly Arab uh, uh, group of nomads. Uh, so the point is that uh, uh, God is so uh, providential and so uh, uh, spe- works with us directly that when good there's nothing even better there's nothing better but when there's punishment then it goes to the lowest of the low so that's a reason to cry but also to recognize the praise of Israel, that um, they are praiseworthy, that at least they get this immediate and direct attention, better than being ignored altogether. Hold on, Naktimon didn't give charity, um, sure he did chesed, and that should have been the salt to um, preserve his money. They said about him that when he would go to the Beit Midrash, first of all, he's righteous too, he's going to study, and that when he would walk, his servants would put fine woolen garments or silk garments uh, under him. So he would walk, not on the floor, but he would walk on these beautiful garments. And then he would leave them there for everyone to take. And the poor people would follow them behind him. In these words, every time he walked anywhere, he would be giving out expensive garments to the poor. So he gave a lot of money. Two answers to this question either that he did it only for himself. It's true that the leftovers. Some poor people came and took it, but that's not why he did it. He was doing it for his own honor. So he says, look how, look how rich I am that I can just waste all these expensive garments. So the, the poor did benefit, but that doesn't show reflect well on him who did it for the wrong reason. This would be an interesting source that giving just for personal honor is really not so good. Others say that he should have done um uh, uh, uh that he should have done more uh he should he, what, what he what he was supposed to do he did not do he, there were other needs that he didn't take care of. As people say, according to the camel is the burden. A strong camel can carry something, very, can carry a lot. A weak person, a weak animal can carry less. So too, yeah, there was a, a regular guy gave gave $1,000. Naktimon also gave $1,000. But it's not the same for the regular guy. That's a, that's a big contribution. For Naktimon, it's true, he gave away a certain amount, but uh, comparatively, in uh, relative to his wealth, he should have given much more. So that was not called chesed. Tanya Amar Bi but Rabbi Sadok, Rabbi Nehama following up on the daughter of Naktimon ben Gurion, he says, I, let, may I see the uh, the comfort of Jeru- consolation of Jerusalem, meaning it's a swear. I, I didn't see it. Um, that uh, so that this following is true. If I did not see that this daughter of Nakemot Ben was gathering barley from between the hooves of the horses in Akos, she's uh, groveling on the ground uh, under the horses, looking for. Uh, barley, uh, little pieces of barley there that um, the that the uh, leftover from the animals, and I said I I, uh, I quoted the following pasuk uh, to apply to her: If you do, if you know not, the fairest among women, go your way. Uh, forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed your kid by beside the sheep's tent. Uh, in other words, if you don't know where the food is, so then follow uh, the flock and uh, the and you'll be able to feed the rest of your animals where the uh, flock goes. So, in Peshat is talking about where the animals the where the kids will uh will eat, but he says change it from Gideotach to Giviotaich, meaning your own body. Uh, if in order, uh, she's in such a sad state that in order to survive and feed her own body, she had to go and follow the animals. She ate she had to eat uh in the pastures Uh, where the animal leftovers from the animal's food, so she sunk to such a low level that he said about her this lamentation. Baruch Amen v'Amen.